Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 51. Well, I hope you enjoyed our review of the past year in episode 50, if you've listened. And I hope you found something useful that you might have missed first time around. And that's the beauty of podcasts, isn't it? There can be really useful stuff that can sit there in the history, and then when you need it, you can dip in and dig it out. Now, if you listen to this at the time it's gone out, it's January 2019. And it's the time of year that many people will be thinking about or even working on New Year resolutions. But you may already know that our view is that resolutions don't work. In fact, there's lots of research that backs that up. Here at Sharp, we're more interested in helping you with longer-term change, not just ideas that only work for a few weeks. There were some ideas that we shared at the end of 2017, and they were definitely about that long-term change. So I've decided to re-release edited versions of those episodes again. I've edited them to make them tighter and lose some of the stuff that's out of date. We'll put links in each episode to all the resources that we're talking about, And I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible to help you to change things that make a difference to your whole year and even your whole life. So the first subject we're going to look at is habits. Now, if you say the word habit, your mind can often go first to bad habits, smoking or eating too much food or the wrong kind of food. If I asked you, what are your good habits? What are your good habits? We might say things like um, exercising regularly or spending good quality time with the kids. I'd ask, are those habits or are they good practice? So if you want to change a habit, it's worth finding out how they form, what causes them and what your options are. In his best-selling book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg explains about the patterns of habit and he says that they're made up of three elements. A cue a routine, and a reward. Duhigg explains that the cue is the trigger that sends your brain off on this particular loop of behaviour. The routine, well, that's the more obvious bit. It's the thing that you do, like lighting up the cigarette or drinking the drink. He gives a great example of eating cookies in the afternoon. Mmm, tizzy afternoon, and that's making me hungry. And the reward, of course, well, that's what you get from it, or importantly, what you think you get from it. You see, the reality may be very different, and that can be a key to understanding why the habit forms in the first place. If you think about the habit of using social media in a mindless or or an unhelpful way, again, the cue could be the flashing flashing night, Um, that's a very different kind of habit, Um, the flashing light on your phone, uh, the notification, or just simply that you've got the phone in your hand. The routine, well, that's scrolling through the feed, looking at the pictures or the updates. Uh, The reward, some people claim that you get a small dopamine hit. Um, Others say that it's about the illusion of feeling valued That when people take notice of us. The good news is that whatever the ingredients to habits are, our brains are not fixed. They can change. So good or bad habits can be stopped and they can be started again. Learning why we form habits is one thing. Learning how to change them, how to take control, well, that might be where we want to get to. Now, you might remember from our chat with Lisa that she recognised that spending 15 to 20 minutes a night 
working on our website wasn't a particularly difficult thing to do, but that the motivation to do it didn't seem as strong as the motivation to rest from a busy day and watch some TV. Now, arguably, there's nothing wrong with that. If you work hard, you need some downtime. Now, you might remember that we joked in the conversation about setting the laptop up in the same place that the TV is. Actually, there might be something in that. So again, not only has she got the trigger there, but it also increases how easy the thing is that she wants to do. Lisa, you know we were talking the other day about you spending 20 minutes a night working on your website. I've got your laptop. Oh, no, I'm not doing that now. I'm not spending 20 minutes now. No, you don't need to. Trust me. Just take the laptop. Open it. Shut it again. Give it back. What's the point of that? Was that hard? No. Okay. Fair enough. Don't worry. Trust me. Now, this idea of taking baby steps doing something instead of nothing, is an approach currently being recognised as well worth our consideration. In our scenario, it could be that for Lisa, just opening the laptop every night for a week is the right start. Do nothing else, just have the laptop there next to where the TV is and just open it every night for a week. Then, for another week, she's already in the habit of opening the laptop, so she then moves on to glancing at the website. In the third week, once already in the habit of opening the laptop and looking at the site, we then move on to making notes of what she might want to change, just for two minutes each night. Then the following week, do that for five minutes and so on. So after four weeks, we've really gently got ourselves into a habit that's so easy to do that by the time we're four weeks down the line, we're actually doing the thing that for the previous 20 or 30 weeks, we knew we should do, we knew we wanted to do, but just for some reason we haven't. You could apply this to going to the gym or saving money, anything which could grow over time and have real impact. I've talked before about a chap called David Allen, and in his Getting Things Done model, he suggests breaking a big project down into smaller actions, then only focusing on the next action, because that is all you can do at any one time. You cannot do the whole project. So baby steps could be more powerful than we might have thought. After all, it's where we all started, isn't it? It's worth thinking about what you want to change, how you can break it down into simple bite-sized pieces that are so simple that it would be hard not to do them. What would you say if I said Akitu? Well, you could be forgiven for saying bless you or Gesundheit, but actually... Akitu was said to be the spring festival carried out in ancient Mesopotamia. Described as a huge 12-day religious festival where the Babylonians were said to make promises to the gods to pay their debts and return any objects that they'd borrowed, it is said by some to be the predecessor to our New Year's resolutions. Some 4,000 years later, we start the year by setting ourselves up, unfortunately, for failure. A bit of research will show you that less than 10% of New Year's resolutions get much further than the end of February. The problem is that resolutions are made in a spirit that makes us feel like we can take on the world. 
So we set huge goals, stretching resolutions that often involve attempts to completely change our exercise routines, our eating or drinking habits, or where we're going to be by next December the 31st. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with setting goals, even stretching ones. But if you're not clear on what the first step is, then often that goal stays on that bit of paper or in that electronic document. So why do we struggle? Well, let's look at the classic gym membership. According to a YouGov poll in 2015, 33% of people who made New Year's resolutions wanted to get fitter. Yet, according to Sport England, regular gym goers make up less than 10% of the population. Gold's Gym says its traffic jumps by 40% between December and January, yet according to Planet Money, half of the people who sign up for gym membership never go. But there is an approach which can work. Instead of going flat out and aiming to go to the gym every day and work out for an hour, why not aim to go three times a week, but just work out for five minutes? Now that might seem counterintuitive, but think about it. If you're going to go to the gym as a new activity, it involves a number of steps. You've got to decide where to go. You've got to work out what you want to use it for. Are you going to do aerobic exercise, free weights or swimming? You've got to get your gym gear ready. And of course, you've got to wash it. You've got to travel there in the morning before work or travel in the evening after work. And if it's a new venture, then there's likely to be a cost that you've not had to make previously. And all that before you lift a single weight or step on the treadmill. Now, you might think that after all that, you might as well put in an hour's work. But remember what we learned about habits. They get hardwired when they're easy to do and the reward is good. So if you make all this change, follow all these new steps and then reward yourself by being worn out with an hour's workout and often not seeing any immediate benefit, then it's not surprising it doesn't last. An alternative is to get the hard wiring set up with the easier routines first. So set up the direct debit payment, get your gym gear and then make the trip after work. Then do an easy workout, five minutes. It'll make you want to do more but hold back for a couple of weeks until the routine is hardwired, and then build your workout once the routine is established. Remember, we learned last week that habits are formed of three parts, a cue, a routine, and a reward. It's the same with Lisa's problem with working on the website. The routine now is just to open the laptop, simple. The reward? Well, she feels like she's still getting a chunk of her downtime after the busy day, because at this stage, the downtime isn't significantly interrupted. What about the cue? There you go. Visit. And the place I'm going to take you to now is one of the oldest actually. It's over. It's been a wilderness, but there is one. Oh, wow. Okay, have a look at this. This is the uh, two winning lids. Okay. Here you go. Has anybody shut it? 300 years old. It's the Queen's Grocer. Here we go. Is it time yet to actually start doing something? No, you have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> In this situation, I've been the queue prompting Lisa to open it. But what if I'm not around or, importantly, if you want to take control yourself and not feel like you're relying on someone else? Well, there are some great apps out there to provide the queue and sometimes even the reward. The good thing about apps is that they can set reminders, they can show you how you're progressing and they're always there. Two which I like are Coach.me and Loop Habit Tracker. 
There are a lot out there, but I've chosen these two because they're a little bit different in how they do things. They both provide the cue. They can set reminders for the particular habit that you're trying to form. Coach.me is available on Android and Apple platforms, and it's the more sophisticated of the two. It works by linking you to different communities and helping you to interact with other people that might be doing the same things as you. Now, you can go it alone with Coach.me, but its strength is in how it makes you feel like you're part of a community. I like the interaction of this app, which I think that really helps with the reward piece as well. The other one I mentioned is Loop Habit Tracker. That's currently only on Android. It's much simpler than Coach.me because it just tracks the habits, sets reminders, and has a simple, I think really elegant front page. If you prefer simple, but you're not on Android and you're on iOS, then try Habit Bull. It's more sophisticated than Loop Habit Tracker, but it's still clear and simple. And again, you can set the notifications or reminders, and it'll act as your cue. So that's just three apps. There's loads out there. And if you don't like the look of the ones I've recommended, then do some research on any comparison page and find the one that works for you. So, habits. We understand why we act like we do, because there's a cue, a routine, and a reward. And we've learned how to make it more easy to change our behavior by thinking about the motivation, how easy the thing is to do, and the trigger. So what we've got to do is break down the behavior and find the solutions. Let's say you've got a big presentation to do. Knowing what we know now, we could break that presentation down into tiny steps. The first one could be just make a list of some of the things that you want to include. So to start with, just think about that, not anything else. Make it easy to do by spending only two minutes a day on it. Create a trigger, so maybe you could use the app. Then you can build the routine, so that goes back to just spending two minutes a day. By taking this approach, it feels to me like the reward, there was probably three rewards actually. You feel like you're making progress with a, a fairly small level of sacrifice. If you're using one of the interactive apps, you can see other people making progress and you build the streak of success if you're recording the progress because you can see that you've done three days in a row. So you really feel like you're motoring. By the time that you work up to spending 20 to 30 minutes of time on it, you're already in the routine and the cue's working because you know that you're doing it regularly. So have a think about what other habits that you could form that might help. You could have a look at journaling, meditating, walking, learning a musical instrument, speaking Spanish, talking to your kids. The list is endless. You can use an app to measure them. You can watch some YouTube videos to inspire yourself. And you may never need to make a New Year's resolution again. going to have a look at the written word. But first, I want to take you back in time. So why am I focusing on 1989? Well, another thing that happened in that year was the release of a brand new book in the United States by Free Press. Now, this book went on to sell 25 million copies to become the first non-fiction audiobook to sell more than 1 million copies and to propel its author to become a household name in the world of self-development and business productivity. The author was Stephen R. Covey, and the book was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But this episode is about habits and the written word, you know, actual books. So of course, I couldn't start an episode on habits and the written word without reference to the late Dr. Covey's work, and I'll link to it in the show notes. So that's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, published by Simon & Schuster, who free press effectively are now, and you can download an audio version from Audible, narrated by the late Dr. Covey himself. Oh yeah, I said there were two things from the book I can remember. 
The other thing was the seventh habit, sharpening your saw. This week, I'm giving book recommendations that support changing habits. There's some significant work in this area from Charles Duhigg, and I want to talk about his book, Smarter, Faster, Better. Well, Duhigg talks about doing things smarter, faster, and better around eight different areas. And he shows us a common thread in all of these areas where people who seem to be in control and balanced do certain things consistently. It's about the difference between being busy and being productive. Here's Charles Duhigg in discussion with Peter Bregman, explaining about part of the book in Peter Bregman's podcast. So Charles, what led you? You know, you wrote, wrote The Power of Habit. It was a great book. It was super successful. This one is super successful as well. What led you to write this after The Power of Habit? Well, you know, I, right when The Power of Habit came out, I was uh, working at The Times. I'm a reporter at The New York Times. and I was working on a series about Apple and using Apple as a kind of a lens for looking at the global economy. Um, and that series ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize. And so it was a great um, professional year for me. But I would get home every night and, you know, have like 100 emails to deal with. And I would turn to my wife and say like, gosh, if this is what success is like, like I kind of think I might prefer failure. This is just <laughs> – this is so – punishing, which of course isn't true, right? I was very lucky to have the experiences I was having. But I did look around and I saw that there were people who who just seemed to kind of have figured something out I hadn't. They they seemed like they were getting all this important work done, but at the same time they had time to spend with their kids and with their family and they seemed like uh, like they were less stressed out than I was. And I thought, I really want to figure out why. Like why are these people so productive without without sacrificing as much as I feel like I'm even sacrificing. And, and I started talking to researchers. I found out I'm exactly right there. There are these people who are like a standard deviation more productive than others. And we actually understand why. It's because they tend to think slightly differently. They tend to encourage themselves to think slightly differently, to think half an inch more about certain things. And so I, I thought that was important enough to share with others. What's different about this book is that it isn't about time management. It's about thinking differently about what you prioritise and why you're doing what you do. It is a self-help book, but it reads like a novel in many parts, and actually that makes it really easily readable and, and fun. From Google to Disney, from individuals to teams, Duhigg has researched thoroughly, painstakingly, and come up with a completely different way of thinking. So, my second book recommendation today, Charles Duhigg, Smarter, Faster, Better. It's published by Random House in the UK and the US. And of course, you can get it from Amazon, good bookstores, or you can download an audio version from Audible, which is read by Mike Chamberlain. Okay, so in this third section, we're going to look at 18 Minutes by Peter Bregman. Now this, potentially, is one of the best books I've read in a long time. In fact, I'd go further and say that if you only read one book this year on getting better, make it this one. It would be easy just to read some chunks out and share the content, but I want to tell you why I'm enthusiastic about it. Well, not only is it a simple, practical um, and clear book, but it's an enjoyable read with chapter titles like I don't want to go to ski class, would you smoke pot while you're working, or why we're fascinated with Susan Boyle. It then delivers these really interesting ideas into a rounded, simple template that argues that if you spend 18 minutes a day on it, in total, you can make it all happen. Basically, if you want to take sensible steps to get into a ritual and a habit that will make a difference, you definitely need to read this book. 
Dan Pink, who's a chap that we'll be coming back to in a later episode, calls 18 Minutes an intensely smart, insanely readable and eminently practical guide to boosting our effectiveness and deepening our satisfaction. Robert Sutton calls it the best blend of a business book and a self-help book I have ever read. And Gretchen Rubin says it's thoughtful, practical and often funny. In 18 Minutes, Peter Bregman explains how to make sure that we have plenty of time to do the things that matter most to us so that our lives reflect our true values and priorities. There's a lot of stuff there, but put simply, it's a good book. Amazon rates it 4.3 out of 5 stars. I'll put it in the show notes. The title again is 18 Minutes. It's by Peter Bregman. In the US, it's currently out on Grand Central Publishing Books, and in the UK, it's published by Orion, Orion, or even Orion. And you can go to Audible and, of course, get the audiobook version, which is narrated by Peter Bregman himself. I need an ending to that. I need an ending there. I didn't write an ending. It's a really good book. Trust me, go and read it. 18 Minutes by Peter Bregman. Did I get the title in enough, do you think? 18 Minutes by Peter Bregman. Go and read it. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm suggesting you go and read it. (laughs) It's up to you. I think you should read it. Right, we need to... I need an end. It doesn't feel like I've ended it. Maybe if I talk long enough about not feeling like I've ended it, it might feel like I've ended it. Either that or we need a power cut. Well, it's 2019, Steve here. And that was all about habits. I hope you found that useful. Those things have made a huge difference to how I do some of my stuff. And in a week's time, yes, there's another one of these next week, we'll be revisiting setting goals. Until then, bye-bye. All the links, resource and articles I've used in this episode will be in the show notes right there on your device. Hopefully you'll find them helpful and useful and hopefully you'll find this whole podcast helpful and useful. I hope you do and I do spend a lot of time and effort making sure it's relevant, helpful and entertaining enough for you to listen to. If you agree and you'd like to show your support, there are several ways you can do it. You could go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating or a great review, which would be fab. Alternatively, you can share the podcast on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. We are at Sharp Podcast, one word, two Ps. Or you could even show someone how to subscribe on their phone or their device. And finally, on the website, sharppodcast.com, you can leave feedback, subscribe, or go and listen to the archive episodes. I'm off. I hope you're able to find one thing before our next episode that you can do, which will help you get better. And remember, don't waste time comparing yourself to anyone else. The only person you should try to be any better than is the person that you were yesterday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.